He sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107 verse 20. The message you're about to hear is a straightforward, down-to-earth and insightful teaching by Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Lady Reverend Adelaide serves under her husband, Bishop Dag Heward-Mills, as a pastor at the Lighthouse Chapel International. Lady Reverend Adelaide is a handmaiden of God and is privileged to have been used by God to pastor and to speak the Word of God, both nationally and internationally, to all ages and gender. She has a plethora of messages on many issues, experiences, and situations of life from God's perspective. Get ready to be transformed as you listen to this message by God's anointed handmaiden, Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Manifested this morning through this vessel and through the word that will come. I pray that the words that I speak unto your people shall be spirit and shall be life. I pray that the word that I speak unto your people shall be acceptable unto you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, O oh God, be acceptable to you and let lives be transformed. Let lives be touched in reality. And above all, let Jesus be magnified. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hallelujah. Please take your seats. Well, we thank God for our second day of daughter. You can make it. And we thank him for his many mercies. Amen. Yesterday, we started to speak about consider. And consider is to quietly and attentively think about something, meditate on it, and allow it to influence your actions. Amen. And I believe that in the church of God, Many of us are not considering. And that is why many things are preached, but they don't affect us. And we continue to remain the same. And the essence of Christ being in our lives is to transform us. It's not just to make God happy, but it's to help you yourself to even navigate the waters of this life. But we always feel that God is trying to take something from us. God is trying to give us restrictions. That's not his intention. His intention is that he would give his people abundant life through the way that he knows is the right way. And the Bible calls on us to consider so many things. It says that go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways. And be wise. Most of us are not humble enough to look at an ant or to consider the ways of an ant. I mean, what can an ant teach me? But Bishop says that everybody you meet is your teacher, and every situation or experience is your classroom. And if we will have that spirit of humility, we can even learn from ants. 
Because the Bible says that we should consider the way of the ant. All that you know about is the ant comes on your kitchen table and you crush it, but you, do, you never knew that it was wiser than you. But consideration will bring a certain kind of wisdom. In the book of Jeremiah, we are told that consider and call for the wailing women that they will come and mourn. So there's a lot of things that if we will consider, our lives will be the way God planned them to be. And this morning, I want to speak to you about another consideration in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Hebrews 10. Hebrews is not in the Old Testament, please. Amen. And let us consider one another to provoke and to love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Amen. The Bible says we should consider one another. Not to compare and see whether you are higher than somebody in the station of life. Not to compare and stir up envy and jealousy. Not to consider one another and say, this one's husband does this for her. Why don't you do this for me? For the Bible says that, and they comparing themselves with themselves are not wise. Not to compare and say that, since I came to the church, I was with this sister. Look at how her life has blossomed. Not to consider one another to see whether the competition is on and who is ahead and who is behind. Who is flying and who is crawling. Those are the things that the world does. And unfortunately, we allow ourselves to walk in the flesh and we consider one another not unto anything good. But you consider the person, you say, hey, how is her marriage? Does her husband love her? Are they getting on well? Is he proud of her? I wonder. Why is it? Are they in love? Why is it when they come, he sits here and she sits here? I wonder what's happening in their marriage. You are considering the wrong things. And in the church, we may not speak, but we are major gossips. Amen. Some of us, we don't know any verse. But we know all the latest beloveds, the latest breakups, and the latest crisis. But a word we don't know. Oh, she went out with Brother Freeman. After that, she went out with Louis. And then because of this, her mother said, and then when the uncle came, they did this and that and that and that. But you don't have anything spiritual to share. All your contributions in life are very carnal. Very fleshly. So when the Bible says, and let us consider one another, you stop there. You are just considering one another with your own topics. 
But the Bible says, let us consider one another. Why? To provoke and to love and unto good works. Now, there are many different types of provocation. And some of us are very good at provoking to anger. I mean, you are very good. Everything that comes out of your mouth, we, we, we get provoked in the wrong way. So, we don't get provoked unto love and, and unto good works. But unto anger, wrath, jealousy. And in the Bible, God was provoked many times. Let's look at Numbers chapter 16, verse 30. 30, yeah, 30. Hmm. Are you there? But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up, with all that appertain unto them, and they go down quick into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. It's saying that if God does something new, the earth opens her mouth, swallows them, and all that belongs to them, and they go down into the pit, then you will understand that these men have provoked the Lord. So even God can be provoked to anger. And when you read the history of the Israelites, Nathan and Abraham, and so they said to Moses, has God spoken only by you? God has spoken also by us. And they raised the whole rebellion. And when Moses called them out of their tents, they said, we will not come. What are you calling us for? We will not come. And what happened is, the earth opened and swallowed all the people up. It's not Moses who prayed that that will happen. But the people provoked God by their actions. And if God can be provoked to anger, then we in the church, we can also be provoked. Amen. To provoke is to stir up so that a certain reaction comes up. And some of us, even by our speech alone, we can provoke to anger. Sometimes in marriage, we are good at provoking to anger as ladies. And then when we are beaten, we call the police that there's been domestic abuse. I am not saying that it's defensible, but I'm saying that what brought the provocation is not addressed. It is the act that is addressed by actually... Our words are sharper than the blows and the slaps. And sometimes more painful. And it's the same in the church. Sometimes by our utterances, the things we say, we rather provoke to anger than provoke to something good. You know? And even God, when you provoke him to anger, he opens the earth and he swallows not just you, but everything that appertains to you. So what the Bible is saying is that we can all provoke unto different things. 
But this time, let us provoke one another, consider one another to provoke unto love and unto good works. Think about it. Consider. Sit down and look at your pastor. I say, how can I provoke him to love? How can I provoke him to love the church more, to love God more? How can I provoke him? Sometimes you provoke him in such a way that he rather wants to leave the ministry. Think about what you are doing. Think about the effects. What is it bringing? Some of us, we provoke unto scattering. Like yesterday, the different types of women who came. She had a problem with everything. Why do we wear long skirts? Why do we wear hats? Why do we... When I was at the UK daughter, during the question and answer time, somebody wrote... How do they want us to dress in the church? When you wear this, they say this. Do they want us to dress like what? Frothy old women? Then I said, excuse me. In the world, when you work in a bank, they tell you come in a suit. You don't say, it's hot. I feel like wearing a bikini. So I'm coming in a bikini. It doesn't even occur to you. But in the temple of God, you think you can just come and wear anything. And we shouldn't have any code of dressing. You just feel that you can be happy. I mean, you just provoke us to anger, to sin, to backsliding, and to falling. Instead of the brothers concentrating on God, they are concentrating on you. What type of provocation is that? Consider one another. In the church of God, we are considering one another, but for the wrong reasons. A lady brought a gentleman to church. The gentleman was a stark unbeliever. He gave his life to Christ. And then, repeatedly, the lady was sleeping with him repeatedly. As he came to church, he heard the word of God. He decided that, no, this thing must stop. Because the person who brought me to the church is the one seducing me all the time. Something must change. So, the girl was in high school. So he wrote to the girl, that when you come home on vacation, no more. You have to live a pure life. The girl did not reply. Then she came during the vacation. You said what? <laughs> said, oh, I want to fully serve God. I, I don't like what's going on. Said, eh. So what are you proposing? I'm proposing that we break up, we stop living like that. Mm, I, I don't agree. <laughs> I mean, it's on, it's on DVD and it's on CD. He said it at the camp. So the girl started to provoke him unto lust and unto bad works. Started to undress, do whatever. And then he started to fight the girl physically. And he said the type of power that the girl had, a certain physical strength that, not that she's bigger than him, but in the course of the thing, her powers were more than him. So he fell flat. Oh, brothers.
receive provocation. He just fell flat. And he went back to God, confessed, Lord, I don't want this, I don't want... And God told him that this thing that you're struggling with is more demonic than you know. So again, the girl went over because she came back. And this time he fought her with her. But let me ask you, why do you even stay in the room and fight with the person? I don't get it. The Bible says, flee. And then you are there negotiating. I don't know if I've told you a story of a pastor I met who went to visit a lady. And the lady said, pastor, come in. And, all, and removed all her top and was like, and the pastor had Bible study with a lady in that state. It doesn't work sometimes, the brothers. I mean, you see, sometimes my stories sound like, like uh, films or movies, but they are not. They are real. I faced him. Uh, I, I didn't know what to do. I said, you did what? He said that I opened the Bible. I told her, you see, what you are doing is not scripture. See, what type of foolishness is this? So anyway, the girl came and said, and he said again, I've told you that whatever, and this time it was a big physical whatever. And as he wrestled with the girl, the eyes of her, the color of her eyes and everything changed. And she went like, ha, 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 I am the princess of darkness. In the church of God. In the church. Princess of darkness? Come out in Jesus' name. <laughs> Come out what? Hey! It was not a simple. In the end, he prevailed. And the girl learned. So when the girl was leaving, she turned and said that, you are leaving me? And those eyes he's never seen before. And incidentally, the demon began to confess. <laughs> oh, eh, brother, whatever. You think you are the only one? Eh? <laughs> I've slept with your big brother, your best friend, your neighbor, your this, your that. What a shock. And since that incident... A girl has just disappeared from the church. My point is, there are people considering people in the church, but not for the right reasons. But this one, the Bible says, to provoke and to love and unto good works, you have to consider. Think about ways. Think about the person. What is the need in the person's life? Initiate. But we don't consider. And that is why usually we don't even appreciate people. Because we don't consider. You don't sit out to consider that. What has my mother done for me? Oh, my mother, she didn't do anything for me. We really struggled when we were growing up. But she sold her everything to raise you. And you have forgotten about that. Because you are not considering one another. To provoke. You are provoking unto other things. Last. Inordinate affection. Jealousy. The Bible says we provoke God to jealousy. The Israelites, the Bible kept saying it. You are going under every tree. You are sacrificing to all sorts of things. Idols, graven images. And you have provoked the Lord to jealousy. And so we are provoking one another to also jealousy in the church. 
Jealousy, not love. Oh. Love is not jealous. But the opposite of that is jealousy. And we provoke, you see, Paul said that the same cup, the cup of blessing, you see, then you sacrifice something else to demons. He said, are you trying to provoke the Lord to jealousy? Do you understand? So sometimes, instead of provoking love, you bring jealousy, envy, competition, and these are things that you can't easily see. Fornication you can see. Lies you can tell. But these hidden sins, they are worse than the, 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 the overt sins that we see. A gentleman told me, he came into church, he's my friend. Again, another. You see, the Bible says, I saw a young man void of understanding. So since then, I've seen that many brothers are void of understanding. <laughs> So you don't have to keep your whole lifetime trying to explain with diagrams. See, understand. Can't you see? Can't you see? It's not, eh, eh, void, void. It's not that. The same brothers, <laughs> they invent rockets. They go to space. They achieve a lot of things. They are great, but understanding. Void. Void of understanding. My mother-in-law said to me, somebody was with us and the person was saying that, he said, when I explain this to my husband, he doesn't understand. My mother-in-law said, never try to tell a man that another woman is not good. He will never believe you. So he experiences it himself, he will never believe it. Void, 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 void. They, they can't get it. Do you see? They can't get it. And even sometimes in the church, people will say, Lady Pastor, I'm not interested in her, and she's forcing her way on me, whatever. Or, I'm not interested in her, and I've told her. But when I said, what did you tell her? I told her, hmm, you should try and see that it won't work, you see. I said, women don't get such messages. <laughs> but they also don't want to hurt their sisters, so they are not forthright to tell you, I'm not interested in you. I don't want, they can't say it. <laughs> hey, so, were you thinking of... <laughs> So he came to church on a Sunday and they said, turn to your neighbor. And if your neighbor doesn't have an offering, give the neighbor an offering to put in the bowl. So he turned and by him was a, a lady. He says, I don't want to say a sister because. <laughs> so he turned and then he was quite a wealthy man. So he just asked the sister, don't you have an offering? She said, oh no. He just gave her 50 cities, put it in the offering. Immediately he gave her the 50 CDs. She began to provoke him to love and good works, to, to rub his thighs. In the Kodesh. Then later, I was not with him, he's at the back. Later, he came to tell me, hey, Sister Mommy, they are very bad girls in the church. Oh. I think they have just targeted people and. Whatever. I said, what happened? And then he told me the story. I said, so what did you do? Oh, what can I do? I said, you can move from that seat. You could have moved. Void. Void. And he told me that the reason why I'm coming to tell you is she has been calling me too much. I said, ah, how did she get your number? How? 
How did she get your phone number? Was it by discernment? Oh. Uh, when she just asked me, I thought that she's a sheep, so I gave her the number. But after that, she has been calling me, saying all sorts of things. In fact, the girl, he, he said exactly, she wants to provoke me to say. And I said, but Void, why did you give her your number? In the first place. I, I, I didn't think about it. Hey! So he told the girl, I will tell Sister Mommy. And I said, do you think she even knows me? What does, so, there's a lot of provocation. Both open and hidden in the church. Some people are bold to bring their proposals openly. And some people are like that. But if this type of provocation can be turned to the right things, to the God kind of love, I think that the church of God will go forward. We have to consider one another. Pastor to sheep, sheep to pastor. Shepherd to sheep, sheep to shepherd. Sheep among themselves. Sisters amongst themselves. Sisters, we are good at pretending. Even my young sons who are now late te- in their late teens, they said to me that, you ladies, you can travel together, eat together, and look like you are flowing together, but it doesn't mean you trust each other. <laughs> I said, how do you know? I said, we have lady friends, and it's true. When a man sees two ladies flowing, he says, oh, come, do you have some cakes? Have some. They say, oh, they are flowing, but don't be deceived. There's a lot of cosmetology. Makeup. We are very good at it. But we need to consider one another. In spite of the person's weaknesses, in spite of the person's samweness, in spite of whatever the person is struggling with, you are supposed to take all that and consider with that in mind so that you'll be able to provoke unto love and unto good works. Sometimes I've also been provoked to anger in the church of God. People do all sorts of things. What do they mean? What do they think? You're also provoked. But beyond the provocation, please do not manifest. Allow the provocation not to become a manifestation. For provocation can be so volatile that you will want to open the earth and swallow everybody like how God behaves when he's provoked. And let us consider one another. Even in the home, we don't consider one another. We don't sit down and think profoundly through with that. What is it that makes my wife cry so much? So, they just like crying. You won't, con- you won't control me with your tears. It's not like that. <laughs> and when she says, I don't like this, or this thing wraps me the wrong way, because it is your strong point, you don't see it. 
say, oh, she's just being mature. Grow up. What's this? But if you sit down and consider, you will see that since you were married, this particular spot, it seems to be an Achilles heel for her, a soft spot. It seems to be a place of struggle. Even sometimes it may not be a place of strength. It may be a place of weakness that, why does she always overreact about this? Why does she always cry about the But you are supposed to comfort the weak and strengthen the weak hands. You don't just say you are weak. So, you know, once I said to my husband, I don't want to be special. I just want to be like a sheep. That's all. Just a sheep. Nothing special. And he went and preached about it in church. Hey, my wife said... She doesn't want to be special. She just wants to be a sheep. Because when pastors come to church, they really give their all to the sheep. And when the sheep is crying, you don't say, buckle up, behave, this. You say, what is wrong? Really? Oh, wipe your tears. Is everything okay? You will even pat it on the shoulder. God will do it. It is well. But your wife, you have not considered... If you considered, if we considered each other in the home, we will understand our weaknesses. You will sometimes understand that your wife lived with only her mother. She doesn't even know how to treat a man, how to serve a man, how to look after a man. It's not that she doesn't want to know, but she's never seen it in her life. Of course, she should have a teachable spirit to learn. But when you consider, it will bring a certain understanding which will also provoke your love in the right direction. If we were to consider one another that this is male and this is female and they are different, I believe that it will help us in the provoking of our love. But many of us sisters do. We want the men to process and to be programmed like us. For instance, brothers are more moved by sight. Amen? Amen. And we are more moved by touch, relationships, and words. Words. That's why we are deceived by words and men are deceived by looks. So if we would just consider that this is a man, <laughs> do you understand? Sometimes the brothers will say that they are sick. Oh, Lady Reverend, I've been very sick for three days. Ooh, then you must be very weak. And very, but I have a complaint. My wife has not been trying for us, but you are sick. <laughs> not knowing that, even if they are sick, that area is not sick. It has been a revelation to me. Because most sisters, when we are sick, we are sick in every area. And the last thing on our minds is that something should happen in the bed at all. You are sick, you are weak, you are not thinking like that. But the brothers, they say they are sick. Lady Reverend, I've not even gone to work. This is the nurse is going to say, 
But speak to your, your sheep. I said, what has she done? She has not been trying. I said, but you have been sick. <laughs> that area is not sick. One of my greatest surprises has been this fact. It surprises me. But we need... We need to consider one another. Consider that the man is different from you. And instead of trying to understand it, that is how it is. It could be. And then also, sometimes you get very surprised that when a lady says no, the type of beast that it can bring. When you are a woman, you are very surprised that, ah, this small thing. This inconsequential. Inconsequential. Why should it affect how he treats me? Why is he angry? Over what? This small thing I said no. Why has it brought about Second World War? Because you are not considering that he is a man and not a woman. And if we consider that he is a man, you will think about how do I provoke a man to love and to good works? Beloved, it is not by wearing a batik 90. Bishop always says that most ladies, they just dress good for the outside world. But in the house, there's no provocation unto love and unto good works. And you think that because the man is godly, he should just stay with me. He should just obey God. He should just, but you can provoke him unto love and unto good works. Hallelujah. The 90 you had five years ago, you have never changed it. But as for your dress and your dress, every year you buy new things for your wardrobe. But as for nightwear, it's not part of your thinking. Lingerie, what is under? It's not part of, it's all torn. There's nothing creative about it. There's nothing provocative about what you wear as a wife. But it's time to provoke your husband and to love and unto good works. Amen, ladies. Some of you single ladies, you don't want any worries in your life. You don't want anybody to worry you in the night. You don't want to change what is it's nice to me. There's nothing wrong with it. Even your underwear are like boxer shorts. It is not provocative. But when you were in the world, you were always wearing provocative things. But now that the Lord has given you a godly man, 
you are wearing boxer shorts. Do you, do you suppose that as they walk in the department stores, in Macy's and all that, and they walk through the female section, do you suppose that they are just stones and wood walking through there? Their minds are very active. Their eyes are very alert. The only thing is that they don't share it with you. So, <laughs> we need to consider who they are. Do you understand? When they are preaching and they say that, brothers, we know that our thought minds are not good. It amazes me. What are you thinking about? What? 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 What are you thinking about? Because, and then they'll say, hey, it's dangerous. Is this, I say, ah, you know, <laughs> if you are not a man, you don't have certain temptations. And you may not have certain trials to a certain extent. But you just have to consider that he's a man. And that's how God made him. And therefore, you should consider my husband. What makes him happy? How long is life? That you always think about yourself. Did you ever me? I want to be happy. It's what I want. And it's what... One thing I've noticed is that we all go into marriage with very selfish reasons. And I never knew that. So God showed me that through my pastoral work and all that. And lately, I've been asking people, so why do you like her? Oh, Lady Reverend... She respects me. She's very kind. She gives me good advice. She's a good cook. She loves God. And I ask the woman, why do you like him? He gives me a sense of security. He's very kind. I can see that he's a visionary. That when we put our lives together, we'll go far. So when they finish, I say, all oh, your reasons are selfish. What the person will do for you. She's a good cook. She cares for me. She talks nicely to me. And then the woman, too, he gives me security. He has a vision to take both of us far. Everything is about us. It is when we marry that we, it is revealed to us that it's not about us. And it's a rude awakening when we wake us. Hey, so it's not about me. Why is, not be, why is he not being kind like I want him to be? Why is he not being as romantic as I want him to be? God uses all that to show us how selfish we are. And we need to consider, sit down, think through it. What makes my husband happy? And just do it. And forget about yourself, me, myself, and I. Because God will use that as a seed to turn things around. Amen. But if you're always looking out for yourself, my people, my things, my money, my this, my that, my th you will not consider. What type of dish does your husband like? Consider. Some of you, you don't consider. You just give him what you have. What do I have? I have tea and toast. Have it. That's what I have. Silver and gold have I and what I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus, receive it. But what makes him happy? What food is it that when he eats, he's very happy? You don't consider. 
He said, what's in the fridge? Let me see. Let me throw this in and throw this in. Have it. Once in a while, yes, but habitually, no. Consider. Consider how long is it to make him happy? Eh? Sometimes you speak to him in a way and he says, I don't like that. Don't raise your voice. And don't use gestures on me. Say, Have I used gestures? Have I? And you are using. <laughs> but just consider that when I raise my voice, the two tempers coming together, it doesn't work. So let me consider not to provoke him to anger, to provoke him to love and to good works. What provokes your wife to love and good work? When you help her with the chores at home. But you want her to do this. Dr. Lindsay has come back for his offering. God, we don't preach to please men. Amen. When you come home, you expect to see a loving wife, a sweet wife, who has made a lot of innovations. You want to see a, love, a loving row in your bedroom. You want somebody who has a lot of variety for you, but she has been tired the whole day. You have not even bothered to call to say, how is your day or how are you doing? You may not be there, but the fact that you call and ask her, it suits a woman's heart that we are in this together. The only time you call is when you need a certain phone number or you have to ask a question. But never that, oh, hello, how is it? So how are you coping at home? Eh, so what are you doing? That alone will let your wife feel that you have considered. When you are coming home from work, oh, She's been stuck at home all this while. What do we need at home? Then you call. Is there any grocery shopping I can do before I get home? You will provoke her unto love and unto good works. The room is quieter. When you come, the house is dirty. That's what you always see. But on the day that the floor has been mopped, the dishes have been done, everything is, wow, what an orderly house. You are a great woman. You don't say that. When things are wrong, you say. When things are right, you are dumb. Consider one another to provoke and to love and to good works. I always say that it doesn't take much to please a woman. I mean, you may give her a new house, 
a Benz, whatever. Okay, she receives it, but what really touches her, you must learn it. Appreciation and gratitude. Appreciation and gratitude. It does so much, you know. But if every time you come, you have a to-do list. Have you done this? Well, the children's school not be this. Have you done that? Have you done It doesn't provoke her. It provokes her to anger and bitterness. But you can choose to provoke her to love and to good works. You haven't been romantic for months. And then, when you finish, you accuse her of being cadaveric in the bedroom. She is not only sexually cadaveric, emotionally, she is also cadaveric. But because you are only interested in the bedroom, you don't know that you have been living with the cops emotionally all these years, all these months. Pastor Francis, why are you nudging your wife like that? All this year, you are not on your feet like when I was speaking for the brothers. And it is the emotional cadaverism that translates into the bedroom cadaverism. But because you never consider, every time she talks, every day excuses, you don't want to flow, you are just this and that. And that. But if you will consider, you will see that you don't make any emotional input at all. And you just want to be fulfilled in the bedroom because your gratification is a few minutes and it's gone. We say in our marriage counseling that a man is like a light bulb. As soon as you put him on, he comes on. And a woman is like a pressing iron. It takes time. It takes time. And that is what you don't have, brothers. Time. Time to invest in her. Time to be a friend. We married because we were looking for friends. We were not looking for sexual partners per se. Amen, ladies. We were looking for people who would stand with us. Who would share their lives with us. But now, we have become strangers in our own homes. We don't know what is happening in your life. When your bank statements come, your wife doesn't even know. What is this? What is he doing? And the way he says, she's very problematic. But the Bible says, consider one another to provoke and to love and unto good works. Amen. When was the last time you even held your wife's hand? When was the last time you put your arms around her? It's only in the bedroom that she knows that she's related to you. Because of the children. <laughs> the children have to see that mommy and daddy can be in love. When was the last time you were going to work and you gave your wife a peck? You just slammed the door and you are gone. 
Consider one another. When I was invited by the Pentecost University Men's Fellowship, and they brought the topic, how to handle the weaker verse, I said, hey, this one, I didn't choose the topic. They have brought themselves. It wasn't easy. And like the disciples asked Jesus, if it be so, who can marry? But if we will consider one another to provoke and to love and good works, our homes will be different. Divorce costs more than building your marriage. Taking lawyers costs more. You see, lawyers are pulling a cow. One is pulling here, one is pulling here. No, the two people fighting, one is pulling here, one is pulling And the lawyer is under milking the cow. That's what happens. And divorce is more. It's not only the monetary value, but all that goes into it. And sometimes, if we were to just consider one another, even your children, to consider them. Sometimes we get so busy. So we are doing this. We are working for God. We are doing this. It's true, but you must be balanced. And before you know, from the age of 10 upwards, they become involved in other things. They're going for club. They're going for soccer. They're going here. In the end, you don't have time for them. Not because you don't want to, but the seasons have changed and they have moved on. But if we were to consider them that these children, these are the formative years from zero to five. After that, five to 10 or 11. After that, they go into different seasons. Then we will consider and we will provoke them to love. But sometimes we rather provoke them to turn against the things of God and not to... The Bible says that fathers, do not provoke your children unto wrath. So sometimes we can provoke them the wrong way. And sometimes it's true, yes, you are busy, whatever, but we have learned to go with our children on the ministry trail, wherever we are going. If it's a village, we'll go with them. If it's a town, we'll go with them. If it is to fly, we'll go. So this vacation, my husband took one daughter, one son, to Zimbabwe and Beirut. And then I took the other daughter and the son. We came to Canada, and then I did some meetings in Europe. And then I brought my little daughter here. Because I realized that as you leave them, leave them, leave them, leave them, you will never. And even they see an aspect of you in ministry that they don't know. Because they always go to children's ministry or something. So when they sit in a camp meeting and they hear you ministry, 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 and also they see how people even receive their father and all that, it affects them. And it gives them a certain heart for ministry. When I look at so many men of God and all that, I know that it's just by the mercy of God that your child will even be born again. It's not because you are so fantastically godly or anything. It's just the grace of God. And sometimes, you may be a very good parent, but your children just fail. I mean, they just don't make the choices you would like them to make, you know? And somebody said that even God was the first parent to fail. So he had Adam and Eve. He gave them everything. He raised them well, but they still fell. And they still rebelled against him. But you can consider you know, we leave them to television. We leave them to computers. 
to train them. We are busy with housework and we leave them to watch anything. Once I got to know through a child that a class that they were going to, which was an ICT class, a computer class, the child said, Lady Reverend, when we go, a child typed in pornography and then all sorts of pictures came and then the others were watching. The teacher didn't know what was going on. When he's coming, then they just switch it off. So I went to the school and I told the teacher, this is what is happening. Did you know? He didn't know. So we should just consider, you see, there are so many things calling the attention of children that before you know, you are overwhelmed. So consider them to provoke them to love and to good works. And it takes effort. It's not easy to preach, to be a wife, to run an orphanage, to run a primary school, to be a pastor, to have guests, and to still look after yourself, look after your children, look after your home. You have to balance all. It takes the grace of God, but at least try. Amen. 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 Consider one another. Sometimes I feel that, Dr. Lizzie, you came for your offering. I'll tell Bishop. <laughs> Sometimes I feel that we should be even grateful to God for the kind of church we are in. Because you may try to raise your children, but you can't do it alone. And when I see Reverend Oko, you should have seen the Shomkom. The whole Kodesh was filled from upstairs, downstairs, everywhere. And when they said, how many of you are coming through TV and radio, you should have seen the children coming, giving their lives to Christ, and their worship alone was something. And you sit in Lighthouse. They organize camps for you. Say, eh, me, they can't come. Home. It costs this and it costs that. It costs more for your child to be in jail. It costs more for pornography and other things. But we don't see. I always tell Reverend Oko, I appreciate you. And I don't just want to appreciate you with my mouth. I also want to appreciate you with my substance. I want to sow into your life and the ministry that God has given you. Because it has transformed my family. We may be pastors, we may be founders, but we cannot do everything. God sends many people to help you. Consider. Consider how do you provoke your children to love God? How do you provoke them to good works? When every day in your house you are gossiping about pastors. Gossiping about church folk. They did this and they did that. And they went here and they did that. They are listening. What will they value? In the end they'll say the church is not real. And you'll say, I don't know why they're on that path. It's because of your talking. You didn't create a provocative atmosphere to love and good works. You created an environment of criticism, oranguism. They did this. They are like this. Hey, did you see how she looked at me? This, that, that is your constant conversation. And they hear it all. You live your lives before them. And they know that when you come to church and you smile, this pastor, you don't believe him. This one is fake. This one is this. This one is that. It's all getting into them. And they are turning away from the church gradually because you are not considering. Yeah. When they get older, they say, we are not coming. You say, why? They said, the church is phony. 
Say, where did you learn that from? They learned it from you. Your presentation of the church. Your presentation of God's servants. Your presentation of the body of Christ led to all that. Consider one another to provoke to love and to good works. I think that before your children, you are also a Christian. You are supposed to be a Christian every day of your life, including to your children. Not that when we are home, then you put on another whatever. And as our children have grown up, they have come to appreciate a lot of things. They ask us, oh, where is this pastor who used to be? Where is that? What is, oh, they left. Why? Oh, there was some difficulty or whatever. And then now my children ask me, so mommy, how do you feel? I was surprised. Hey, now they can think. <laughs> how do you feel? I said, oh, I feel okay. I feel that the church is God's work and that even in secular life, you also have temptations. So you just have to press on in everything. And God ministered to me that all those, you see, you are not sitting down to give them a sermon, but all those are gems you are dropping into their lives. And it doesn't make them turn away from the ministry. Eh, everybody is fake. Everybody is false. Everybody is bad. Everybody. It's not true. Consider one another to provoke, to love, and to good works. Amen. Now, the Bible says that the best example of love is Jesus Christ. And so, how, what are some of the things that we can do to provoke, to love, and to good works? First John chapter 4. Are you there? Let us consider one another to provoke and to love and unto good works. Verse 10. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. The reason why we don't consider one another to provoke and to love is we are waiting to be loved first, and then we will return it. But the Bible says herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he first loved us. Take the initiative to love. Take the initiative to show love to somebody. But we often say, when she sees me, she doesn't mind me. When I greet her, she doesn't, or if she behaves like that, I will also behave like that. But no, that is not godly love. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he first loved us. Because when you love people, without their taking the initiative, you are teaching them what love is. So here in his love, not that we loved God. We did not. We were doing our own things and we were so some way. But he just came to us and said, I love you. And I'm sending my son Jesus anyway. For God so loved the world. And I'm giving you my best anyway. I know that some of you will not respond. 
I know some of you even reject my love. I know that some of you will not even care about me, but I'll send my love anyway. And that is how to provoke to love and good works. But often in the church we say, when I call her, she doesn't return, so I've also left her. When I do this, she doesn't this. But if you would take the initiative to walk in love, then you will be behaving like Jesus, hearing his love. Not that we first loved him, but that he loved us. Most of our relationships in the church don't work because we feel that it's not being reciprocated. But you just love. That's God. Some will bear fruit. Others may not. Others may bear a later fruit, but it is still worth walking in love. The greatest place of unforgiveness is in the church of God. Christians cannot forgive. The greatest place of criticism is the church of God. Christians always feel justified. And when you are a Christian, you know, somebody was telling me that his general overseer had offended him, whatever. And I said, Mommy, do you know, when I came here, he said this, and he did this. And he said, I am not here in your house at dawn to hold brief for that pastor. I'm here to proclaim the word of God that I'm not saying it's not painful. It's painful. I'm not even saying you are not right. You may be right. But I'm just saying, walk in the word. And what is walking in the word? Forgive. As your heavenly father has forgiven you. So just forgive. Let it go. And behave as if it never happened. Because the Bible says that if God loved us in that way, then so ought we also to love us. So behave as if it didn't happen. I'm not saying you are not right. I'm not saying it was not done. If you went to a court of law, maybe you will win. Whatever. All that is true. But what would Jesus do? Nevertheless, and many, many, many Christians and even pastors fail that test. And I said to one of them, I said, this is a test. You must pass it. It's a difficult test, but it will pass. The storm will pass. So pass this test. And at a point, when I called and I said, so you are still bearing this grudge and you are still preaching. Hey, doing the work of God. You pray. Do you think your prayers go? I'm afraid if I were you. You are still preaching and you're saying, I mean, I've forgiven him, but I can never work under him again. I said, then you have not forgiven him. And not only is there unforgiveness, now pride has also come in. Hearing his love, not that we loved him, but that he first loved us. And that is what we are not able. And I was telling the Lord, you know, people are pastors, people have worked with you for so long. Why is it that when it comes to this place, we just fail? And the Lord said, because a lot of you are carnal. And that's what led me to my sermon on carnality. He said, a lot of you are carnal. And I said, Lord, what does that mean? He said that you walk in the flesh. When things affect you, you walk, the only time you walk in the spirit is when you are preaching, when you are doing worship. But when things hurt you, you walk in the flesh fully. It says, they that are in the spirit 
do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. They that are in the spirit. So you may have the spirit of God, but you may not be in the spirit in your work and in everything you are doing. I've called Christians and I've said, you haven't spoken to your father in about 14 years, but you have called me that God has called you and you are going to Bible school. I said, what, what verse is that? I said, eh, even you, the person said to me, even you, the way you relate to my father, I think that your life is in danger. Every Christmas, you are sending him, because when I was in university, the man was very good to me. So every Christmas, I send him a card and a little basket of maybe wine, something. Yeah, I've heard that even you, you've been sending him things at Christmas. I'm even afraid for you. I said, really? Why are you afraid for me? Because if you were in the spirit, you would know that he's not a, a, a correct man. I said, really? I think I'm in the spirit. And she said, why? I said, because Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long. And I asked her, what about that verse? She said, well, that verse is there, but if you are walking in the spirit, you will descend that. Always contrary to the word. I even said to her, shall I send, I'm sending you a book. My father, my father, please don't send it, because I will not read it. I will not. The father is an unbeliever. Every time I see him, he says, Where's my daughter? She doesn't call me. She doesn't write to me. What's going on? Why? And I just keep quiet. I can't tell him the conversations I've had. And yet she's going to Bible school. God has called her. She has left her all. I tell you. She has left her all. She's a professional woman, whatever. She calls, I've left my all. I can't contain it. The call of God. I need to obey Jesus. I need to flow. Hallelujah. And the Lord told me, do you see? You are spiritually gifted. You are moving. But you are so carnal. Carnal. And when I come and I say that I don't know you, you say that you did this in my name. You preached in my name. You did that in my name. But when it comes to real spiritual living, crucifying the flesh, we are not able. Herein is love. Not that we loved him. But he first loved us. That's all. That's all. What, what has... What has your father done to you? I even know your father. What has he done to you? And I think that from the conversation, the way, I think she has received a word from somewhere that the father is doing it. Because as she has grown in years and um, she thinks that life is not working for her, she has a lot of debts. She feels that she wants to marry. She's not getting married. She doesn't know how she's going to solve her financial problems. So I think that somebody has told her that this thing is from your father. I said to her, forget about all that. I said, you don't know that man. Whatever I said, the Bible says, love your enemies. So even if he's your enemy, you owe him love. But she will not listen. But that same God has called her to ministry, and she will stand and preach. Hearing his love. Not that we loved him, but he first loved us. Take the first step of love. Take the first step even towards your enemies. Love them. You see, when you preach about love, it's like, oh, it's just the, ooh, but it's the greatest. The greatest is love. And that is where we fail. I sat in somebody's house for hours. I said, walk in love. Walk in forgiveness. Do it. That's what God is saying. I said, the root of bitterness, it will trouble you and it will defile others. Mm, how I've labored in this vineyard. How, I said, hey, 
Should we all bring our CVs about, <laughs> you want to talk about laboring? Then we all bring our CVs about how we have labored. And at a point, they asked me, so we are failing, eh? I said, pass this test. It's a test of love, and it's the greatest, so pass it. So, uh, mommy, so we are failing, eh? I said, I can't say. You have to answer whether you are failing. But whatever you are going to do, the foundation is based on what? Consider one another to provoke and to love and unto good work. We can't take injustice in the church. We cannot take injustice. You did it. Why should I be unfairly treated? Was Jesus fairly treated? Do you know how many times I've been unfairly treated in the church? <laughs> should I open my dossier? <laughs> I was preaching in Canada about the spirit of a servant. I said, some of you, you say, I've been a shepherd. Uh, I've not been ordained. Why is he reverend? And me, I'm not reverend. I said, I was there from the inception of the church. And I was made a pastor on the same day as Lady Pastor Bidia, Lady Pastor Louisa, whom I have counseled and been in the church with. And then on the day of my ordination, I'm ordained with so many people as reverends. And by the grace of God, it has not even occurred to me. Because I feel that everybody has a mandate. What God has called you to do, you just do it. And also... The church is now coming up, you know. It was his first ordination of women. Do you see? So the fact that they didn't put you aside, oh, sister, ma'am, you were the first. You know, you came <laughs> from the beginning. So we should ordain you before. We need workers and laborers. Are we now coming to do cosmetology in the church? I said, Lady Pastor Erica, even she was reminding me lately that, oh, mommy, you used to give me money to go and do my hair. You come here and say, what is this on your head? Is it a bird's nest? I don't even remember. But now I sit with her. They say, shall we welcome Lady Reverend Erica and Lady Reverend at Lady Ward Mills? What should I also say? I said, look, you think you've been unfairly treated. Come. Come. And if when I told my husband this example that Lady Reverend Erica, he laughed, said, ah, is Erica a lady reverend with you? He doesn't even know us. <laughs> but when you have a servant spirit, you know that you are nothing. You are a servant. And even it is by the grace of God that they have given you a vegetable patch in the vineyard that you should work it. Hey! You are going to spend your time quarreling over titles and who comes first and what... Before you know, Jesus has come. But not having that title has not diminished God's call on my life. Being called on the same day with people has not diminished what God is doing. Rather, my greatest challenge now is how to meet my speaking engagements, especially Lighthouse ones. Very difficult. Very difficult. You can ask LPBM because now I have more outsiders and I feel that they also need to hear what, what God is saying. You know? So even when I was in the UK, I didn't preach in Lighthouse. It was other churches. And the Lighthouse people came to be a part of the meeting or whatever is happening. So it is not whether I'm Lady Reverend, Lady Pastor, or Lady Sister. It does not change anything. It does not change anything. But Satan will use these things to speak to you. They don't respect you. 
And they feel that what? They discriminate. They discriminate. When we were having ISI this year, every time I do the closing ceremony, continually they forget to put us on the timetable. Always. Always. You say you have grievances. Hey. So now the people are asking me, so where do we come in? Because when I came in, into the meeting, the preaching has begun. So opening ceremony, so I said, hey. So where would the opening ceremony be? <laughs> As they have started preaching, so I asked Bishop Saki. I said, opening ceremony, said, ah. <laughs> we had forgotten. <laughs> and you easily feel that what you are doing is not appreciated. What you are doing is belittled. And what you are doing is treated as if it's nothing. But God will speak to you and say, are you doing it because of people? You are doing it to bring glory. It will make you more spiritual. My point is that offenses should make us more spiritual. Hates should make you more spiritual. But that's not the case. Herein is love. Not that we loved him, but he first loved us. So in the middle of the preaching, they stopped and they said, shall we now have the opening same? I have to now call the people. Are you on cue? Where are you standing? It's a lot of pressure. And every time I tell them, next year, if you do this pressure, I won't do it again. Bishop Sykes said, oh, you will do. Oh, you will do. You know? Sometimes you even feel that they are just taking you for granted. Oh, you will do. You will do. Ah. Every day we hear these threats. You will do. And sometimes you feel that you must change. Change gears for them to see that you are serious. Amen. So if you are talking about unfairness, injustice, consider one another. When I consider them, the three of them, I call them the powers that be, TPTB. They don't like it, but I call them that. The powers that be, because even during daughter, when I'm on the stage, I feel their presence that they are uh, 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 controlling from, <laughs> from below. And then when I end and I get there, I say, oh, why, why was your preaching so short? I said, because of the powers that be. The, the, the intimidation is too... It's too much. But you will always have the opportunity to be offended. And the only time that you will know whether you have a good relationship is when it's been tested. When it has not been tested, you'll be okay. So we are in love. We are the best. We are the, you are not. Nothing has been put to the test. So those of you who have been married two months, three months, don't tell me you are in love. I won't take it. When your love has been tested and is still standing after the storm, then I'll say, herein is love. Herein. Herein is love. You know, so sometimes... Some people look at married people and say, they are not in love at all. Why are they not putting their arms around their waist? And, because that one is easy to do. But the real test of love is the years. My mother and my father would have been married for 50 years in January. 50 years. And my father is not a softie. So I was telling my mother, you need to write a book. She said, I will. When this thing just happened, she said, I will. I said, what will be the title? My other life. <laughs> My other life. I said, hey, what a title. By the way, okay. Go for it. Hearing is love. Not that we loved, but that he fests. Oh.
take the first step when it comes to love in the church of God. Take the initiative and don't let bitterness and anger and unforgiveness. John 13 verse 1. John 13 verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. He loved them unto the end. In the church of God, we don't have love that goes to the end. We have love that starts... We have love that flourishes in good seasons and dies in bad seasons. But with Jesus, having loved them, he loved them unto the end. That's why many marriages fail. Because we don't have the mind that we will love unto the end. We will love up to the point where you deserve to be loved. And up to the point where you don't deserve to be loved, we will check out. Whenever I'm in the marriage class, I tell them, I speak to them. I said, look, if you know you are not ready, following all that I've said, walk out now. Nobody walks out. They sit there. They stay always 200 and something. The class is packed. They're all in love. And some of them, four weeks after, they are, they are there. Hey, Reverend, you didn't tell us. I said, I didn't tell you. Having loved them, if we are to consider one another to love and good works, we must have the mind that we are going to love unto the end. And between the beginning and the end, there will be many storms. A lot of water will pass under the bridge. Even in marriage, can you love unto the end? You came to say that till death us do part. I didn't say it. But how come anger is you? Till anger as do part. Till death as do part. Till poverty as do part. But in your vows, you said for better, for worse. In sickness and in health. And all these things come on in your life. There will be better times and worse times. There will be sick times, sick, sickness, times of sickness and times of health. There will be adversity and prosperity. You know? One lady was telling me, my husband, he doesn't have anything. Every time he's depending on me, eh? I have to give him everything. I said, because he doesn't have a job. I said, hey, he doesn't have a job, but whatever. I said, it's true. He has to look for a job. He's trying. But do you know, in marriage, tables also turn. Because when I first got married, I was any more than my husband who was working at Kolebu. And I used to give him money for petrol. But at a certain stage, the tables turn. When Dr. Nosh married his wife, his wife's salary was more than his. And he went to take her salary and made some negotiation and went to buy a car she didn't know about. <laughs> Mitsubishi Lancer, blue. <laughs> Without even asking her. So when the people came for the money, and the wife asked, ah, why will you make up the difference? Oh, the money in your account. I've already taken, I've made the calculation, I've paid. 
But that is how it started. But as you go on, in the middle, the tables can turn. And then now your husband begins to look after you. So love is to the end, and the seasons change. Amen. So when you are on top, don't say, eh, why is he whatever? It's sometimes it is not his fault that he has been sacked from where. Sometimes to some men are too phlegmatic. Ah! Go and look for work, you won't go. Go and, hey. One lady told me, Lady Reverend, uh, I married a fancy man. He won't go to work. When I come home, he's changing channels. He has cooked and he has cleaned, but he would never look for a job. Meanwhile, he told me, look after me through school, and after that, I'll look for a job and support him. After the school, he was now changing channels. He would not go and fill any form at all. And she had helped him to become better educated than she was. At first, we were all at par. Then she worked, you know, menial jobs to help him through school so that the tables would turn and he would support, but it was not turning. <laughs> so that aspect is also there. They're not turning. But Jesus, having loved, he loved unto the end. Don't love your church only when things are going well. Don't love your church when they haven't broken your heart before. But when you still stay on in spite of the heartaches and the pain, then I know that you are like Jesus and you love unto the end. Don't love your church when it's doing everything right. It always gives you all the counsel you need, all the visitation. You are a loving sheep. Then when other sheep come in, and you are an older sheep, and they are giving more attention to the younger ones, then now you freak out. You must love unto the end. Sometimes you meet people who say, Lady Reverend, I just thank God for your life and for Bishop's life. If it were not for Lighthouse, I wouldn't know what I would do. I mean, the church has brought so much direction. If a Lady Reverend, what? then the next month, the person has checked out. The person who doesn't know what she would do without you now knows what to do and has checked out. And Jesus, having loved, he loved unto the end. He loved Peter with all his somewhereness. When Jesus has called you, then you say, I go out fishing. And the others say, I follow you, and then you are gone. You betray me. And not only once, three times, you betray me. But Jesus could still see that. It's not that Peter wants to betray me, but the Bible says he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. So when he looks at that, he can love you to the end. And Jesus, having loved, he loved unto the end. James and John were now arguing, who is greater? Who will sit on the right? Who will sit on the left? Shall we call fire? to ah, After all that I've put in you, look at how you are manifesting. But he loved them unto the end. They all deserted him on the last day. Some of you would have said, change all the disciples into females now. The females who were at the grave, change all into females. I don't want any males. 
But Jesus keeps giving a chance and keeps giving a chance and keeps giving a chance. And he loved us unto the end. And if we are to consider one another to love and good works, we must have the heart and the mind to love unto the end. Sometimes, some of us are not married because God knows we are not ready. Because the day that you marry, you will check out tomorrow. Because you are not, you don't have a nonsense absorber, you know, like shock absorber. And then you don't have a nonsense absorber. (laughs) And if you don't have a nonsense absorber, you are likely not to last. I I tell some people that in the church and they don't want to hear. I say, "You, you have insulted everybody, including pastors. Which man? Which man will you respect you the way you are? Even pastors, you can speak to them anyhow. Slam your car. You are going. Whatever. Because what? You feel you are a professional woman or you are, you are not ready to marry. And one of such ladies, somebody called me and said, I found a lady in your church. I'd like to marry her. Do you know her? I said, I know her very well. So what would you say? I said, hmm. <laughs> I said, as for hard working, she's hard working and everything. But sometimes I find her rude, but maybe she won't do it to you. But I mean, I have to tell you what I think. And also, if you know the person's weakness, then you can accept it and say that I will live with it. Then that is it. But that's the only complaint I have about her. But maybe beyond that, you two, you are super phlegmatic. You may need a woman like that to help you. In your walk, having loved, he loved unto the end. Marriage is for better and for worse. It's not for good times only. And um, my mother said, it is your joys and your pains and your sorrows all mixed together. You share all. It's a cocktail. You share all together. But when we are going to get married, we don't have that mind. And that's why there are more Christians in divorce courts because they don't love unto the end. You see? You say, ah, how can a preacher misbehave like this? But he's man. That's why he's a man of God. A man first, then of God. Amen. And Jesus, having loved, loved unto the end. Now, Lady Reverend, what about... Good works. But before we come to that, let's go to 1 Timothy 1.5. 1 Timothy 1.5. Amen to that. God will make a way. Now the end of a commandment is love or charity, out of a pure heart, and of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned. The end of the commandment is love, out of a good heart, a pure heart, and a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned. Amen. You see, when I say let's provoke one another to love and to good works, It must also be out of a pure heart, a good conscience, 
and of faith that is not pretentious. One uh, lady told me that there was a lady in their church office who said she was walking in divine love. But this divine love led her to always make pancakes for a particular married male pastor. And it was not being shared to all the saints. Do you understand? So she said that. As it went on, then she called the sister and said that the way you are behaving in this church office is not right. It was an American lady who was telling me. And the sister said, it's agape. Agape. Why are you reading into it? So she was asking me, so what would you tell such a person? I said, First Timothy 1.5. Love out of a pure heart, a good conscience, and of faith and faint. So it's true that we should consider one another to love and to good works. But it should be through this filter. Is your heart pure as you are walking in love? Do you have a good conscience with what you are doing? And sometimes even your conscience becomes seared because it's so used to. And of faith that you are saying that it's spiritual, but it's not. It's pretentious. It's not the real thing. That is not love. So consider one another. You know, like the stories I told you about the people in the Kodesh and all that. They may say it's love. Oh, I brought you to church out of love. But I brought you to church so that I could sleep with you. There's an agenda. And that is not of a pure heart. Somebody will say, oh, I, I met you in church and you gave me an offering. I'm just fellowshipping with you. But you know that it's not that. It's not out of a pure heart. You are always calling him. Just because he gave you 50 Ghana. And you feel that because of that he will have money. So it's not a pure heart. And sometimes it breaks my heart that marriages are under threat in the house of God. It shouldn't be. The house of God rather should be a place of safety, but it's not. It's not. I'm sure I've told you the story of the worship team where a lady came in. During worship, she sat down and said, that uh, girl in the worship team, she's sleeping with my husband. An unbeliever. Came to the front. I said, oh, madam. Please sit down after the service. So after the service, they called this lady up. And we thought that she would be shy and say, Oh, lady reverend, oh. You know, the lady pastor was talking to her. She said, It's true. I have vowed that she will never be happy. The person who is leading worship has vowed. These are not fables. <laughs> and she had the audacity to call the man, the husband of somebody. Hey, your wife has come here, misbehaving, whatever. And then the man, too, foolish man, he walked into the Kodesh. <laughs> totally foolish. And when we went into it, the lady said, I was going out with the man. And then he ditched me and married this one. So I made a vow that she will never be happy. That is my ambition in this life. She will never be happy. What is that? In the Jesus, inside the Jesus Cathedral, she was making such declarations. God's mercy is so much. If it were the time of Ananias and Sapphira, you would just be struck like that and then you would see that. So it is not of a pure heart. It is not of a good conscience. And it is not of faith and faint. And that is not the kind of love that we are to consider to love, and to good works. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's go to Acts 9. We talk a bit about good works. 
Verse 36, Acts chapter 9, verse 36. Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deed, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died, whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. And for as much as Lydda was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas had made whilst she was with them. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed, and turning him to the body said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Amen. Amen. Now the Bible says that there was in Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which means gazelle. In those days, young women could be named after beautiful animals. It wasn't an insult. The Bible says this woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. What are you full of? Gossip, backbiting, carnality. She was full of good works. Full. And arms deeds, which she did. What do you do? What do you do in the church? Hmm. And it came to pass that she was sick. The fact that you are full of good works does not exonerate you from the temptations and difficulties of this life. You will fall sick like everybody else. <laughs> she died even like everybody else. But she, she was still full of good works. So sometimes we say, oh, we've served God. We've done this. How can this be? Whatever. God doesn't promise you a trouble-free life. <laughs> he just says that I will be with you in trouble. And I will deliver you. When I think of my father... You know, yesterday, Reverend Joe was telling me, he was just reading Psalm 91, and he was saying, with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. And I really reminded him of my dad. And I said, oh, that's the verse I used on his 90th birthday brochure, that with long life will I satisfy you and show you my salvation. But as I thought through his life, I, this verse also came to me that I will be with him in trouble. And I would deliver him. Like he says, there's nothing in the book of Job that has not happened to him. Because when I was young, maybe the age of nine and ten, I saw my father go to jail. Not because of anything criminal he had done, but will you understand it? Vicarious liability, do you understand? Yeah. When you own a business or you own something and then people, something goes wrong. You, the owner, are liable, in spite of the fact that you may not have been the one. So these articulator tracks that he had, they had a rule that there should be a second person assisting the driver on every track. 
Now, one of the timber trucks went and had a terrible accident. And the second person assisting the driver ran away into the bushes or whatever. So the driver was alone. I think he eventually died or something. So then the contention was that there was no second person in the car. And my dad's defense was that there was a second person who came. The person came eventually, but they said, there was no second person. You have rather gone to bring somebody than he was the second person. So God, back and forth, and then one, I, I, I saw my father going back as a child. I didn't understand. But this particular day, he wore his black suit, smartly dressed, and said it was judgment day. And then when he went, he didn't come back. I didn't, I didn't know why. I just said, hey, today my father has taken long. And I remember that my grandmother was braiding my hair. And then my uncle came and said, oh, daddy is not coming back today. What? My grandmother said, what? I said, oh, he's in jail. Where? Second D jail. Why? Because of his drug diseases. So my mother was wailing. All sorts of things were going on. And then once my mother took me to visit him. And I saw my very powerful father in prisoner clothes, shorts, and then a top. I couldn't believe it, you know. And then I went to school with the man whose truck had collided with my father's truck. The, fa the, the, the son and daughter were in my same school, <laughs> some rich people's kids. So when their father would drop them, I would see it, and I would be crying that, hey, their father is dropping them out. My father is in jail, you know. And then... All the newspapers started to run headlines. Beijing jailed. I mean, there was joy. There was joy in Takradi, a lot of joy. Even Dr. Nosh told me as he was growing up as a young man, he used to walk by some of my father's houses, and the rumor was that the man, he uses black magic, and there's a snake in his, in his wardrobe that vomits money. So he has, he's surprised that he has now met the man's daughter. I said, you see. Even as a child, I heard these rumors so much that when I was asked to go and tidy my parents' room, I would open the wardrobe and see whether the snake is there. That's what rumors can do, yeah. So he went to jail and all that back and forth, and then they appealed, and then he won. But before he went to jail, I think that he was probably in the prime of his life because every month he would have a party. Hey, cocktail. Waiters in white with white gloves. It was blowing time. And we used to go to church all right, but we didn't used to have morning devotion. But as soon as my father went to jail, morning devotion started. With <laughs> and continued up to today. You see. But after a while, the case was quashed. And then they wrote small behind the newspaper, Baden's conviction quashed. Small. But when the problems were coming, they were big. You know, so I was just asking my mother as my father passed that. I remember that jail. I was even with Bishop. And I said, was it two years? She said, no, it was three months. I said, wow. As a child, it felt like two years to me. And my mother became like a broomstick. Thin. And she even left her home to go and stay somewhere for comfort. For and she was always going, do uh, lawyers, up and down, changing dossiers, whatever. But what I'm trying to say is that he had a lot of trouble. But the Lord delivered him out of them all. It's not that he had some smooth life, trouble-free, just living. No, it wasn't like that. He had a lot of trouble. 
And even for me, a child, to go and look in the wardrobe to see if there's a snake that vomits money. At, and then another point, they said that there's a saw on his back. And my father used to call me to scratch his back, so I'll be looking. <laughs> Where's the saw that vomits money? Maybe the saw. But the man has suffered from humble beginnings as a driver's mate to what he became. But when he became what he became, eh, he does. So even as a child, I, I, I think that it shows that you hear so much that you even believe. Because now I'm looking at your back as your daughter to see if that saw that vomits money. Maybe I could have a little. <laughs> so even though Tabitha was full of good deeds and alms given, she still fell sick. And she still died. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. Amen. Hmm. And then, when the people had washed her, they laid her in an upper chamber. You see, she thought that she was doing good deeds to some people, not knowing that she's sowing seeds for her own life. So the people that she ministered to are the people who washed her and placed her in the upper chamber. And beloved, she didn't have any connection to Peter. She was not anybody of any high consequence in the church. But the people she administered to had a connection with Peter. So even though she was dead and she couldn't do anything for herself, her good deeds made the people make a connection to Peter that let's send to Leda, Joppa, and call Peter to come and pray for this woman. Peter never knew about Tabitha. She was not in Peter's church. She had not ministered to even Peter. But sometimes your good deeds brings you into relationship with people who can make another difference in your life that you yourself could never have made. Provoke one another to love and to good works. The Bible says it clearly that she was full of good deeds. Full. Amen. I don't believe, you know, these days in the church, there's a lot of self-effort. Like, if you want God to promote you, be hospitable. If you want God to promote you, be good, full of good deeds. I don't think so. I think that you just serve God out of a pure heart. And then he decides which way he will use to bless you. But we think that I must strategically position myself this way. So that this, I think that that is Ishmael working a lot in the flesh to make things come to pass. But usually the things that God does, the Bible says, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared. So if Tabitha had gone to call Peter herself, Peter would have said, who are you? But it's the disciples who sent, two men went and said, we need you to come because this woman, we can't lose it. We have washed her and everything. It looks like the situation is there, but we can't lose it. Because she was full of good works and alms given. Alms deeds or whatever. And when they went to call Peter, he didn't hesitate. He just came. Your good works, don't grumble about it. Every day they say I should cook. Every day they say I should usher. Every day they say, look, me, I feel that God has many people he could have chosen to do this. And that is just a privilege 
that he chose you and I. I said, a little place, vegetable patch in his vineyard. Why should he choose you? The Bible says, we have this vessel in earthen vessels. Have you seen earthen vessels being listed on the stock exchange before? They list gold. They sometimes list silver. Maybe copper may pass, but earthen vessels like you, and we are not even listed on the stock exchange because man knows that you are not valuable. But God chooses vessels of... If I am investing, I will never invest in clay. Ever. When the economy becomes shaky, people who are rich, they invest in gold, not clay. But God Almighty has invested in clay like you and I. So susceptible to death, we can just be broken. We are so some way... And then he says, come, let me give you something to do in my house. Say, hey, these church people, they are using me. Every day they are calling me. Since when did I become their tailor? Now I'm making shirts for them free. Hey. Hey. Do all things without memories and disputings. Because as you remember whatever, God will choose somebody else. He says that when people refuse to praise me, I will raise stones. Stones. So the fact that you praise him is just a privilege to you. Because if push comes to shove, is it not pathetic that what you do, stones can also do? <laughs> that shows you how. So of no consequence we are. we are. And yet we are so proud, we can't even go through the door. Hey. What? Your substitute is a stone. Can you imagine? At least let it be another human being, but a stone. If a stone can do what you are doing, then thank God that you have something to do. The disciples heard that Peter was there. They sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay and that he would come to them. Hmm. Because of her good deeds, they said, don't delay at all. Come now. Peter arose and went with them. And when they brought him into the upper chamber, the Bible says, all the widows stood by him weeping, men all, and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. When you are no more, what can we show that you have made? When you are no longer with us, what can we show that you have made? Consider one another to provoke and to love and unto good works. You see, some of us feel that 40 days fast, prayer meeting, rise from the dead, in Jesus' name, come forth. All that is powerful. But your good deeds can bring you out of the dead. Sometimes where we think the power of God lies, it's not always there. It's true, it's good to fast, 40 days and 40 nights. We are going to raise the dead. It's good, it's all that. But sometimes... It's the shirts you made. They don't look powerful. They don't even look spiritual. But that is what will be used. When people come, they are crying. They showed what she had made. You, what have you made? Apart from bringing division, gossip, confusion in the church. What is your contribution? All that we can show is that you were a maestro in gossip. You were a maestro in complaining. You were a maestro in tail bearing. You were very good at that. But beyond that, we can't show anything that you made. But as they showed it, men were weeping for her. And Peter just put them out and told her, 
come forth. And then she sat up and he presented her alive. And not only that, the Bible says many believed because of that. Our good works have a way of even bringing souls to the body of Christ. Amen. Our good works may be witnessing spiritual things, but I think that just good deeds are something that a Christian should have in her life. Because the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and goodness. Goodness. Just be good to people. Goodness. But you, your life is I, myself, and me. Everything is about you. You never see even people in difficulty because it's not your mind. You don't care. You're in the church, but if they're in difficulty, we all have problems. They should sort themselves out. The government is there. It's a welfare, whatever. They should just chuck it there. I mean, I can't help them. But if you put yourself in their position, if you just consider, you see, if you consider, you will get many avenues for good works, but you will not consider. Recently in Ghana, Ivory Coast had its crisis, and a lot of Ivorians came to Ghana. And they also joined the church. So as I was looking at the people, I started to think about myself that, hey, if you are in a place and war comes, suddenly you have to leave everything, you have not prepared, you come, you don't have a home, you don't see what you are doing, how will you live? So I felt that the Lord was saying to me, meet them and feed them. Remember that I'm doing off an age. It's not like I have what? Lose money. <laughs> and in the church, when I go and ask for money for this, hey, we are building 150 churches, okay? Each man for himself. This, 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 this. <laughs> so I call the church caterers. I have some rice, I have some oil. I think we can add this and that. I have some this from my house. I will add this and then you make a meal. So they made a meal. And then we put it in packs and we made announcements. All Ivorian refugees, you have a meeting with First Lady after church on this date. All Ivorian refugees. And they came. The hall was packed. And then people studying in Ghana who are no refugees, man. <laughs> they added themselves. And then. I spoke to them and then fed them, and they also spoke. Amongst them were judges, doctors, people who didn't think that this would happen to them. And then I said, write your names. We may not be able to do much, but some of you are dressmakers. Some of you can make uh, French bread, croissant, things like that. So we will let you help people around who do such businesses, and then they will in turn help, look after you and all that. And then also, we will give some food like rice, chicken, oil, which I've not done yet. <laughs> then, because I've not been around. And then we will see what God will do. They were so touched. They gave speech upon speech. How this, how the how, when you come to a place and you know nobody and such love can be shown to you. I mean, even you doing the good deeds, you don't know that that is the extent of what you are doing. But how did it come about? By considering. If you 
in a place and there's war and you don't have your how will it be? It will be wild, oh, if it just happens suddenly. Will you? And some of them were not able to take anything. UN diplomats and all found their way into the church. UN diplomats who were here in Washington working, representing their countries. Big men are all refugees. So I said, hey, so this thing can happen. Even somebody came to whisper to me, hey, one of Babo's commanders is in the, uh, this, is she a refugee? I said, an Ivorian came to tell me, I said, I don't know them. I'm just feeding them. I said, hey, she's not a refugee. You must remove her. I said, <laughs> but it's just good deeds. <laughs> good deeds. Somebody took him to tell me that. You see, the thing you said you will share, a certain woman, she has written her name with all her five children, but she's very wealthy, so cancel her name. I said, how can I? <laughs> how can I? But when you consider, you see, the Bible is not just saying something to make us happy. He said, consider one another. So sometimes I'm sitting there, I consider, I say, look at all these widows. How do they manage? Sometimes a bishop will consider, I say, look at all these widows. How do they manage their fees? Then he will call them, at least your first child, I would like to help you. Your first child, first child of every widow that we know. And he will help them. And I'll also be thinking, so sometimes I'll call them, how are you managing? Hey, since my husband died, the family this and that and that. So how are you managing? I'm not managing well at all. What else? So Christmas, I have a widow's list. And I send them rice, corned beef, canned cook, oil. Be happy. If you don't consider, you'll never do good deeds. Because you just look at your life, how you are, your many needs that you have. You are looking for money to do projects and to do other things. But there are some pressing needs. There are some pressing needs. And I believe that if you open your heart, the Holy Spirit shows you so many people. Sometimes I meet people who say, very brilliant person, Wesley girl, she cannot pay her fees. And how much are her fees? 200 Ghana. She cannot pay. And the one I, I spoke to her said, what work do your parents do? Please, they are house helps. Ah. Yeah. Both of them, yes. Said, oh, even me, when I'm on vacation, I'm a house help. And then when I can, whatever. And this person is sleeping next to my daughter. I don't know her from Adam, but I'm just chatting with her. So, so what I, my daughter says, she has been sent home, but when she goes, she doesn't even know how to come back. It's not the school fees, how to come back the transportation. <laughs> she doesn't know how. That's my daughter. Yeah. So does she do very well? Very well, mommy. The only subject she's weak in is English. <laughs> you know? So I said, oh, 200. I'll try and force and see what I can do for this girl. So I write to the school. Say, this girl is in the same class with my daughter, sleeps next to her, sits at the same dining table, and I think, this is just like my child who does not have this, I've not had a little squeeze in my own life here can help here. Consider. <laughs> consider. If we considered some of our orphanage offerings and things would be different, but you don't consider. Mm, I'm paying for this. I need a lawyer and I'm paying for that. And I'm this. Hey. When you have opportunity to do good, take it. Do it. Because 
opportunities are not always. Like the primary school project, we finished. So if you didn't give to that project, it has passed. A new project has come. If you don't buy into that, God will raise stones to look after the poor. Amen. Consider. But we don't consider. When we see people coming, going to church, we don't, oh, what are their problems? Oh, she's just some way. Most people who are some way are laden with problems and they don't know what to do. Sometimes it's not even money, but calling the person, are you okay? Some people say, when you say, how are you, we automatically say fine. But it doesn't mean we are fine. <laughs> how are you? Fine. Eh, are you fine? So how is this? How is home? Is there peace? <laughs> you have found the ministry. I feel that the work of God is so much that we don't even need to fight for work. The work is more than we can even bear. And you don't need a stage ministry before you will do good deeds. And the fact that you are doing good deeds does not mean you don't have problems. You have problems of your own. But turning your eyes to somebody else makes God take care of you. For the Bible says, what you make happen for others, God will make happen for you. My mother tells me personally that she never asked God anything for her children. Not because she didn't want to, but it didn't occur to her. She never prayed, make my children this. Let them serve you. Let them become this. Nothing like that. So she said when people meet her, they say, hey, you can pray aright. Look at your prayers. And how your children have become. And she said, it's nothing like that. It's just the grace of God. Because she was a stepmother and her mind was, I must give of my best to somebody's. And God would take care of the rest. And as she did that, by the grace of God, her own children have just turned out right by the grace of God. There's a lady in church, she always asks me, how can one woman have five children and four are pastors? It's not fair. She's a good friend of mine. I said, and Esther, I think it's just God. Hey, it's a very wild grace. Oh, she always says that. She said, you have five children. The first daughter is married to a bishop and is a pastor herself. Then the next one is an architect. The third one is a lawyer. The fourth one is an architect. And the other one is a lawyer. And then four out of them are pastors. Hey, what else do you want? But I believe that good deeds, good deeds. Up to today, our house is always filled with strangers because the house is very big, so they're always looking for people too. So when you go, you see people. Say, who is this? Oh, Nana Kwame. The mother was this, this, this. So then he came. Who is this? Oh, Mami Efua. Because total strangers, they're always looking after them, raising them. And I think that that has made a difference. Consider. Consider one another to provoke, to love, and to good works. Stand to your feet, please. Shall we pray? I just want us to ask God to give us the soberness and the attitude of consideration that it will not just be something I've just said, but you will consider in your home, how do I provoke my husband? How do I provoke my wife to love and to good works? 
How do I provoke the people in the church? How do I even provoke the problematic ones to love and to good works? How do I do that? For consider one another to provoke, to love, and to good works. Ask God to open your eyes that you may see. Ask him to give you a heart that you will be touched with the feeling of infirmities of others. And ask him to deliver you from self-centeredness and selfishness. If you could just raise a song for us. Just speak to God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. feeling or a social word but it's a spiritual instruction that you are giving us I pray that your people will take this seriously I pray in the name of Jesus that you will give us what it takes to consider one another one another not just ourselves and not just our own issues and not just our own wealth but we'll consider one another in the church of God and we will come to that place where we will provoke one another, not to jealousy, not to anger, not to strife, 
but to love, Lord. Divine love, Lord. The God kind of love, Lord. To love and to good works. I pray. Lord, yesterday, you said that many were weary and many hands were hanging down. And today, you are challenging us to rise up and walk in good works and provoke one another in love and, in, and to good works. I pray for strength to do that. I pray for the mind, the understanding, and the leading, and the help to walk in all these places. I pray that selfishness and self-centeredness will leave us. The deceptions of the enemies that makes us waste our energy on fighting and confusion and, and things that don't bring your kingdom. I pray in the name of Jesus that from today we will see through his wiles. And that instead of tearing one another down, Lord, we will build one another up. Oh, help us to consider, to provoke one another, to love and to good works. Your word says you are at work in us, both to will and to do of your good pleasure. We believe it. And we receive that grace. In Jesus' name, amen. It was great having you today. To find out more about the resources available by Adelaide Heward Mills, please visit the Vision Bookshop at the Kodesh, North Kaneshi, or meet her on Facebook at Reverend Mrs. Adelaide Heward Mills. For prayer and counseling, please call 0243-187-900. You can also drop us an email at honeyonmylips at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, God richly bless you.